0: Hello, Tim Williams here. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to one of our archived episodes from our early days of launching the show. Although I love the overall content of these episodes, I will say the recording quality was not always the best as the show was still evolving and I was learning to record and edit pretty much on the fly. I believe the sound quality and editing has improved from season to season, so be sure to check out more great episodes and our more recent seasons. I hope you enjoy this episode and that it rekindles all those warm and fuzzy nostalgic feels. Once again, thank you so much for listening.
1: Diamonds? Diamonds. And he loaded it all up onto his ship, and they sailed away into the sunset until the British king, he found out about it, and then he set up this whole armada to go out after him. And then the armada, it took him a couple weeks, but then they caught up with Willie, and and then there was a whole big war between the armada and Willie's ship, the Inferno. And during the firefight, there was just guns bursting here and cannons bursting there. And then Willie fled, cause he didn't want to stay around, cause he knew he'd get killed if he stayed around. And then he got into this cave, and then and the British they, they blew up the walls all around him, and, and he got caved in, and he's been there ever since, forever, forever, and ever. In fact. Wow. You sound just as corny as Dad does. My Dad tells me the truth. You know what he said? He told me that one-eyed Willie and his bunch were down there for five, six years. And they were digging all these tunnels and caves setting booty traps. Booby traps. That's what I said, setting booby traps so that anybody that tried to get in there would die. And then you know what he did? He killed all of his men. Why? Why'd he kill all of them? Well, because he didn't want them to get to his treasure. Yeah, wait a minute, Mikey. But if he killed all his men, how did the map or the story get out? See, I asked my dad the same question. He said one of the guys must have gotten out with the map and... Hey, Mikey, I believe you.
0: Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and I'm your host for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, where we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what flick we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. 1985 was a big year for movies. It was a year dominated by flying DeLoreans, Breakfast Clubs, Beverly Hills Cops, as well as massive pop artists like Madonna, Michael Jackson, Cyndi Lauper, and Prince. It was also the year of one of the greatest movie adventures of them all. The Secret Caves, The Lost Map, The Hidden Treasure, The Fratellis. What an exciting time to be alive as a kid, back when you knew it was time to get home, when the street lights came on, and just riding bikes with your friends meant the world was yours to explore, until dinner time at least. 1985 was the year that Astoria, Oregon got put on the map, the truffle shuffle became the newest dance move, and the kids from the goondocks took the oath that said, Goonies never say die. This week, we're talking about Goonies. So, I'm so excited to have uh, my good friend, Mr. Ron West, back with me on the podcast, and uh, we're excited to talk about The Goonies. This is one of uh, his favorites, one of mine, so we're going to jump right in. So, say hello, Ron, and... Fantastic to be back with you, my <laughs>
2: friend. Uh, really looking forward to this movie. You and I have uh, have talked about this uh, privately for, yep. for the years that we've known each other, and now we get to do so publicly. And give everybody a sneak peek into uh, the inner workings of our minds, which is, (laughs) I'm sure, always fascinating to everyone that's listening.
0: It's probably the most introspective podcast we'll ever do. No, probably not, but I might get there. But I will say, and I didn't think about this until the other day, uh, yesterday when I was going to watch it because I was looking for what I was going to wear. I was about to turn it on while I was getting dressed, and I have a Goonies t-shirt that Ron gave me for my birthday Shortly after we became good friends So uh, Goonies never say die So,
2: and, and did you wear this Goonies t-shirt While you watched the Goonies movie?
0: I did not <laughs> <laughs> Only because okay. I mean I really should have But I I knew I wasn't going to wear it all day And I was like ah, eh, That's a shirt I want to wear When I've got it on all day I don't want to just wear it for an hour or two And then I uh, have to change Because I had to be somewhere else uh, Later that afternoon So um I knew I wasn't going to be able to wear it all day, so. Okay. No offense to you, Ron, I promise. <laughs> but you just
2: want to wear it during the day when we're diving in caves and uh, yeah, exactly. looking w- for pirate training. Yeah,
0: I will wear it the Friday that this podcast drops, for sure, so. <laughs> okay. All right, so you know the drill. When did you see Goonies for the very first time?
2: I saw the Goonies in the movie theater, 1985, I yep. it Was the year that it came out. Yep. So, that was at the uh, Bluefield, West Virginia, uh, Mercer Mercer County Mall, <laughs> uh, which was the only movie theater that we had within, probably within about a two-hour drive of the house. Okay. That movie theater was about a, an hour drive, so um, that's that's where I saw it. I actually ended up seeing it twice, and that would have been the summer before my eighth grade year. So, I saw Goonies, uh, and then a friend of mine was going to the mall the following weekend, uh because we were only, uh, you only went to the mall on the weekends, Friday and Saturday. Right, right, one. exactly. It's an hour away, so your parents were not going any other time. So <laughs> his mom was taking him, and uh, and I, I hitched a ride with him and saw it a second time. Uh, so I saw it twice within probably the first two weeks that it came out.
0: Okay. I don't remember if I, I saw it in the theater as well. I don't think I saw it more than once in the theater. I might have saw it saw it again, because we did have dollar theaters, we pretty, were still pretty popular, and there were a few in the area, so I probably saw it again. I might have saw it two or three times in the dollar in the dollar theater because by that point, because it came out early June of '85, so I know I saw it like when it pretty much when it first came out. So it probably would have hit the dollar theater probably the end of summer, uh, like August. Back when you went, you know, here kids go back to school at the beginning of August, but back then we didn't go back to school until probably the second or third week of september so i probably saw it again a few times but um yeah there were a few theaters here probably it was probably the one at south lake mall was where i saw it but i do remember seeing it with my friends like i that was not one that like was a family you know the whole family went to go see i remember seeing that with my friends who are my age so it was very much emblazoned in, in my mind as a movie that i saw with my friends that we all kind of left the theater like what adventure can we go get into like there's no caves around here but We're going to find something like a cave And go, you know, look for treasure or whatever So, and I was 10 uh, I hadn't turned 11 yet So, uh, and we were all around that same age Like either, there were some friends That were like a year younger One or two friends were a year older So we were all right in that same age uh, As the kids in the movie So, uh, when was the last time you saw it Before watching it for the podcast?
2: Um In its entirety uh yeah, probably been a couple of years since I watched it in its in its entirety.
3: Mm.
2: Um, but bits and pieces changes you know, changing the channel when it's on and you just stopping and listening. Uh, especially if it's anywhere near when they first go down into the uh, into the fireplace, when they first get down into the cave because yeah. I know to get to the wish and will I'm gonna get the fantastic Sean Austin speech <laughs> about their time. It's their time,
3: Right. there. I, right. I
2: just I love his little uh his little soliloquy. Mm-hmm. So I always, always stop, and then uh,
0: at the very end as well with the uh, pirate ship. Anytime, mm-hmm. you know, them kind of staring in awe. Oh yeah, uh,
2: it's always a fun scene as well.
0: Yeah, I had it. Had, I watched it last year, like this time last year. Uh, my daughter, who is ten now, and I guess she had just turned ten, and we were thinking about, uh, you know, it was fall, getting close to like it was probably late September. Early October, looking towards you know Halloween, and I think about that movie, this movie, around fall. I think because the weather of the movie makes it seem like it's in the fall, with it's kind of rainy and overcast. You know, it's definitely even though it came out in the summer, it doesn't feel like a summer movie to me. It always makes me think about the fall. So, uh, Very true. my daughter had never seen it before, so uh, I was like, oh, well, let's watch this, and had not seen it in a long time. So of course, you know, the opening scene where. Uh, the Fratelli, one of the Fratelli brothers pretending like he's hung himself. I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Because <laughs> my yeah. daughter is not. I mean, I, I, you know, by this point, I'd probably already seen the Terminator. So, I mean, I, I had seen a lot of stuff in movies much younger than my daughter has. I mean, she's still pretty much GPG. She hasn't seen much of anything that's PG thirteen. If it gets too violent or too many gun gunshots, she's not really that much into it. So, um, but she that's made. That you mentioned that because when I turned it on yesterday and it started with that prison scene, I actually
3: thought I always forget that this starts yeah. with with <laughs> them in prison, breaking out of prison, him right? Breaking it down. You you kind of
2: skip past that first five minutes in your mind and just get to them when we're first meeting the the, the Goonies characters
0: at at Mikey's house. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but I remember when we watched it with her. I remember telling her like, "There's going to be some language in this," because of course she, you know, she's not big into you know the curse words and stuff. And I remember this one being, at least as a kid, I remember my mom making the comment because I think my mom took us to the movie, so my mom was with us. I remember her being a little upset by how much profanity was in the movie um, for kids. Um, this is before PG thirteen, so it's still in that PG range. But you go back and watch the '80s movies, like Karate Kid. A lot of the PG movies had a lot of profanity in it back then. More so than today, what um, there's not that many PG movies now. But um, so I remembered that. But then you know they had the scene with the statue, and I was like, I kind of had my hand, hand in my my head in my hands with my daughter, like, oh my gosh, what am I exposing my child to? I had to have to answer all these questions. Uh, but she she made it. Th- she was a little bored through spots, but she made it to the end, and then when it was over. She wanted to draw the pirate ship. Uh, with the silhouette of the the sun, you know, at the beach or whatever. So, even though when I talked about her, I asked her if she wanted to watch the game this year. She's like, I didn't like that movie, so we'll watch it again, and she'll she'll fall in love with it again, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> but before then, it had been several years since I watched it, like you said, from beginning to end, uh, without like catching it on TV or something like that. So when you
3: when you watched it, um, and I don't want to jump too far ahead. No, go ahead. When, when you watched it, and the
2: scene uh, where he is using the the old school chest uh, builder with the springs where you stretch the, the exercise equipment, oh it yeah, not, yeah, yeah, and you're you're stretching that. At any point, did you think, wow, that's the key? Doing that exercise is the key to becoming uh, what twelve foot, two thousand pound.
0: Villain in the Marvel cinematic universe. That if, <laughs> if you do that, you can become Thanos, right? Right. Uh, as Josh Brolin
2: would would become. Because every time I see him now, I oh just yeah. I just see Thanos.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure, and for you, he's in Deadpool two, as the villain in that one too. So, <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, so so speaking of daughters, when you know, you, your daughter is in college now, but when did has Sydney seen it and. Did,
2: Yes, she she's probably about the same age as Hannah. She saw it and the same thing was very unimpressed. The <laughs> All the movies that we grew up with, she was unimpressed uh, with. She the uh, she will tell you that the um,
3: that the uh, Will Smith son's Karate Kid is far superior oh. to the original Karate
2: Karate Kid. Oh, she will she will tell you that the new rendition of footloose was far better than the original footloose, um, which I know is hard for you because you don't like musicals. She will, um,
0: (laughs) this is not true. This is not a true fact. (laughs) It is an inside Um, joke, but it's not a true fact.
2: So none of those old movies, you know, Goonies, Princess Bride, uh, does she really love? Now she'll watch the star Wars movies. She'll, she watches, she's watched all the, you know, the star Wars movies. Um, but yeah, completely unimpressed. But we showed we started showing all those
3: to her around that same time. You know, Uncle Buck and uh, oh yeah, uh,
2: which has always been a, a personal favorite of mine. And then even as she kind of got more into the early teenage years, you know, The
3: Breakfast Club, yeah, the John Hughes, thing. Candles, and 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 going through those. Uh, but yeah, completely unimpressed. But uh, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, they'll, just so, like your
2: wife and uh, the Princess Bride, you know, sometimes uh, uh, you know, I, I I believe that one day she will love that movie, even though she avows that that will never occur.
0: We just have to keep showing it to her. Eventually, it's gonna it'll it'll take root and it'll <laughs> it'll blossom in her heart, and her heart will grow five sizes bigger when she truly accepts the perfect the perfectness of the Princess Bride. <laughs> so, um, all right, we're gonna switch it to talking about. Uh,
3: Princess Bride if we keep going so (laughs) um, but Goonies is an outstanding movie in in its own right yeah the uh, uh, I was uh, and I
2: remember somewhat you know the advertising for this movie that's why I ended up going and I think it was like you said it was early June and that's typically would have been our last week of school is that first week of June right so I believe we ended up seeing it uh, that Friday when it came out was kind of a uh,
3: hey we're all out of school why don't we all kind of try to meet up at the mall that ...that Friday night,
2: and so that's kind of how we ended up uh, going. And then, like I said, I, I hitched her ride with a buddy of mine the following week to see it with him as well.
3: Um, but I remember a little bit of the the advertising for it, mm-hmm. and uh, and these were not
0: people, though, that we knew, really. No. I think Corey Feldman
3: was the only
2: one who had been in
0: he anything. Had, yeah, he had only been in Gremlins before this. So this was still before he really, I think, yeah, before he really broke out... He might have been in something else, a very, very small role, but I think the only other thing he'd been in before this was Grimless, but he was still kind of, yeah, he was probably the only one that we would have recognized or I would have recognized in the movie, for sure. A little, little bit
3: little
2: bit of trivia for you. Go for it. Uh, the two Corys, yes. Corey Hayman and Corey Feldman, both auditioned
0: for the role of Mouth. Yes. And, uh, and uh, Feldman ended up getting that. And
2: they took a break from filming this, And, um, sent all the kids to
0: the Jackson's Victory Tour concert, which is
2: is credited as one of the things that sparked Corey Feldman's, uh, very soon thereafter, complete infatuation with Michael Jackson (laughs) and becoming friends with Michael Jackson and dressing like Michael Jackson. Right.
0: Trying to take on Michael Jackson's persona there for several years. Yeah. We could probably do a whole podcast on the life and times of Corey Feldman, uh, and probably corey Hame as well so they they, they have a very long and and very uh, eccentric history so but i was a fan of the coreys growing up so uh, the lost boys lost boys was, got really started it but i'm a big fan of and we're going to talk about all, we should make a there should be a, a drinking game not that we drink but there should be a drinking game with this episode of how many other 80s movies we're going to talk about just on this one episode,
2: you were getting ready to reference license. Drivers. I was
0: gonna exactly you know, <laughs> license to drive. Is, I still I watched that one like I watched that one within the last two or three years, and it's still enjoyable. That's still one of my favorite. Uh, I have
2: not seen that in so long. I cannot imagine that that holds up well.
0: It, it doesn't.
2: <laughs> it's a guilty
0: pleasure. It's it's completely ridiculous, and it was ridiculous back then. But sure. it's it, it it it's still funny. It has some really good. Comedy bits in it that still work, but the the whole premise is completely completely asinine. So, all right, well let's let's get back to talking about Goonies, And the reason for this podcast for this episode. But uh, you know, three big names, uh, two of them were big at the time, one was still an up and comer. But you have executive producer Steven Spielberg, director Richard Donner, and up and coming screenwriter Chris Columbus, who became his own uh, him director in his own right later on. Uh, they all collaborated to create this epic children's adventure. Uh, to provide the screenplay, uh, Spielberg did turn to relatively unknown Columbus who had just written Gremlins. So that's how uh, Spielberg and Chris Columbus uh, got to know each other. Uh, Donner was then brought on board to direct, having previously directed both Superman the Movie and Lady Hawk. Uh, it was this directorial choice that ensured touches of fun, Fantasy and fear into the movie and um, As I was looking for a trailer to play for the mini episode uh, last week The teaser trailer for this for this movie is fantastic And I don't know if you you know, if you're listening go back and watch it I'll probably post it on the Facebook page and Instagram page before uh, it drops But but for Ron go back and find the teaser trailer because what it does is it references all of the, not all of them, but several of the hit movies that Spielberg and Donner had made together, and they take a letter from each of those movies to spell out the Goonies at the end. So it doesn't show any footage of the movie at all. The teaser was all: here are the great hits of Richard Donner, The Exorcist, Superman, uh, and then St- Steven Spielberg, Poltergeist, ET, Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it's a very cool teaser trailer. Uh, interesting that I, I when I when I started playing I was like I think I vaguely remember this uh when it first came out so um
2: that's a very interesting uh, perspective to take hey did you like all this other stuff right like something else and so you might like it too
0: yeah because I at, th- at that point I, I mean of course I knew who Steven Spielberg was I think as a kid of the 80s that was one director you automatically knew or you know recognized the name uh just much like George Lucas I mean I think Probably, I probably knew Spielberg from Lucas with, you know, the Indiana Jones movies and of course with ET. But I, I didn't really know who Richard Donner was, even though I'd seen Superman. I did not see Lady Hawk, and honestly, I don't think I've ever seen Lady Hawk. I plan to watch yeah. it at some point. Um, I think I've seen bits and pieces. I've never seen the whole movie, but uh, I definitely had not seen The Exorcist by then, which I thought was an interesting choice to use to promote a kids' movie. Is did you like The Exorcist? Then come watch this movie back. Kids going through a tunnel, you know, through caves, but um, but anyway, but, but it's really cool teaser trailer. So definitely go check that out. So, uh, but Donner himself was initially bewildered by the choice to direct, and I think the reason that he wasn't he was chosen or why Spielberg did not direct was he was already linked to so many other projects, and he really wanted to make this movie, and he figured the only way he was going to get it made, you know, in the next decade, he needed to find another director, uh, but as executive producer, he was there. So um, him and Donna really became like co-directors and their stories that Spielberg actually directed several of the scenes. Uh, He says, quote unquote, it was because uh, the, uh, the production got behind schedule and so he was just trying to help out. But I think Corey Haim, not Corey Haim, Corey Feldman and Sean Astin have both, you know, had interviews or told stories about, they were really directed by both. Like Richard Donner would come and say, okay, here's this scene, here's what you gotta do. And then he'd walk back to the camera and then Spielberg would come and say, okay, here's your motivation. Or, you know, they were always kind of, one was kind of directing the scene, the other one was directing the actors and vice versa. So it was very much a collaborative effort, which um, I think made it even better, so. Sure,
2: it seemed like it worked. And it's, you know, that's probably not an easy thing to do, especially for Donner. Yeah. when, When Spielberg is looking over your... Looking over your shoulder and, and 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 kind of giving tips, so you know, um, I guess kudos to both of those guys for being able to do that and being professional, being, being oh, able to yeah. have enough respect for each other to do that and and, and make it work. Yeah, and uh, it's probably hard. It's probably like a little bit like uh, herding cats
0: too, with that being <laughs> like teenagers and you know, preteens and, and oh yeah, you're trying to direct. So probably you might need as many all hands on deck. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Because Donner Donner himself said. Uh, My first thoughts were, why did you choose me? Because it was Steven Spielberg who made the best movies for kids and for dreaming in the world. So why are you giving this to me? He says that Spielberg told him it was because he was busy doing something else. And he thought that I was as big a kid as he was. So he gave it to me. So uh, I guess Spielberg thought that, you know, even though Donner had said publicly, I don't like kids. (laughs) And so... I was like Spielberg was like, I'm going to make you direct a movie full of kids. Uh, but yeah, so, and then, uh, Wow. but he did say working with inexperienced kids turned out to be a mixed experience for him. Uh, this is his quote. The annoying thing was the lack of discipline. And that was also what was great because it meant they weren't professionals. What came out of them was instinct and that was beautiful, but because it was instinct, they didn't have the discipline of a professional actor, a trained actor who knew that on that line or that move, they're going to scratch themselves or drink a Coke or eat a slice of pizza. So every time you would make cuts to match, they were all over the place, never on the same marks. But the reason they weren't is because they weren't function. They were functioning on their instincts and their instincts at the moment told them to go there and not there. I just had to figure my way around it, but it drove me nuts. (laughs) And if you see any interviews with Donner, I mean, there's, there's lots of back behind the scenes footage you can find on YouTube of him directing them and, there's a few scenes where like he you see him like give him direction like three times and then he just like puts his head in his hands like like what am I doing here? why am I why am I doing this? So uh, uh, but it was cool. So uh, what did you think of Richard Donner as the director? Um, you know I really didn't
3: I mean obviously when I saw this I didn't care who. <laughs> uh, directed it at that, at that age and right. Richard
2: Donner's never been a name uh, you know if I hadn't watched it and researched it a little bit before watching this I, I wouldn't have even been able to tell you that
3: that's who directed the Goonies right um, like I said I think directing kids a group of, of young people like that is a little bit like, like a little hectic I'm sure oh yeah
2: so uh, all that in, in, in mind um, you know obviously I think it did a good job the when you read some of the trivia and some of the little, the goofs of the movie yeah. and uh, things like that, you see a lot of the things that you were just talking about. There's a lot of things about uh, this person did this, but mm-hmm. then when they shoot the next scene, you know, the the hand is in a different place. Oh yeah. yeah. The, the, you know, the, the mark is off the, you know, they're facing left and then now they're facing right. <laughs> and, and Things like that. There's a lot of little things like that from
0: this movie more so that popped up uh, than usual yeah. when,
2: when we look at something like this.
0: Yeah, I noticed one of those, one that stood out to me like immediately is in the opening sequence when uh, Chunk is in the arcade and he sees, here's the cops, the cop cars going by. He has the soda in one hand, and the pizza in one hand. And so the one shot, I think, is you seeing him from behind and you see the pizza smear across the glass. Then it switches to the shot on the other side of the glass where you see his face. And then all of a sudden the pizza comes like it, it's, it's a little delayed where... His hands not the pizza isn't on the on the glass and then it gets there so and I think when I watch even watching it last year I was like man I never noticed that before but of course as a kid you're not gonna notice those little mistakes Uh, but now you know it's kind of stuff we pick up on because we watch movies over and over again so much but yeah I'm like you I I didn't like I said I didn't really know Donner as a director back then I probably didn't know who Richard Donner was until later late '80s when he you know uh, directed Lethal Weapon those movies and then later I you know realized that he directed Scrooged which is one of my favorite Christmas movies um, so I really think of him more from lethal weapon as like an action director more than I think of him as a you know, comedy even with a movie like Scrooge and uh, even this one so but it worked out pretty well interesting. So for casting, as we talked about, you know, we had some pretty much relative unknowns. Uh, the Goonies proved to be the breakout role for Sean Astin as Mikey. Uh, an 80s icon Corey Feldman, already a popular child actor thanks to his appearance in Gremlins. Uh, a very young, as you said, Josh Brolin, who became uh, Thanos much later in life as Brandon or Brand, which I never understood why you called him Brand. Like why well, there was always a D on the end of his name. <laughs> so so just Brand? Yeah, just Brand. Uh, newcomer Carrie Green as Andy The Incredible Martha Plimpton as Steph Indiana Jones former sidekick Kay <laughs> Hui Kwan As the brilliant gadget inventor Data And Jeff Cohen as a lovable chunk Rounded out the cast of kids Do you want to tell the story About when you met one of the, <laughs> the Goonies Or did not meet one of the Goonies I, I met did not meet
2: Data A.K.A. <laughs> short Round from the Indiana Jones uh, movie at MegaCon in Orlando a couple of years ago, and uh, I was walking through a little section, kind of alone, and I turned to the corner, and he had a booth set up there. It was him and two ladies, where you could take a picture with him and get an autograph of him. He had you know shots of himself as Data, mm-hmm. shots of himself as uh, Short Round, and um, there was literally not a single person in line to meet him shake his hand, take a picture with him. And as I turned and I kind of, I looked at the table and saw it. And then my eyes came up to find him. Cause obviously in your mind, you're like, Oh sure. I'm sure. You know, all these, he made these two movies in the mid eighties, but mm-hmm. I'm sure he's still 12 years old. I'm sure he hasn't aged <laughs> it all since then. And so your eyes come up and you see this, you know, 45 year old guy who really doesn't look anything like you can see a little bit of the resemblance. And we kind of locked eyes for a second.
3: And right.
2: you can tell he was like, is that guy coming over here because he wants a picture or something, or maybe give me some money? And I was like, "Oh God, does he think I'm want something?" Uh, and I'm because I really don't. I'm not that big of a data fan that I kind of want to do this. So I just kind of broke off the eye contact and looked down, and, and we both kind of turned away a little bit,
0: feeling a little a little shame. Um, the moment that almost was. <laughs>
3: To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line.
2: But yeah, I mean, this, this movie would give us some characters that we would come to know and love, though. I mean, yeah. Sean Aston would become Sam from
3: the Lord of the Rings movies, right? He would become a well known hobby. <clears throat> he and, was Rudy. Uh, course, I have Rudy. Yeah. Um, Probably and then
2: of course Josh Brolin Who we already referenced
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, Oh I, I, I know what I was going to say Jeff Cohen
3: Yes in This movie plays uh, Chunk. Chunk Right
2: uh, It is a little bit chubby Well first of all I you see a picture Of him now He's like this Super
3: yeah. ripped Bodybuilder
2: yeah. guy <laughs> But if anybody Ever wants a joy You ever want to Just cringe Watching something There's an old show That used to come On Saturday morning Called Kids Incorporated
0: Yes We, we talked about this Privately Yep yeah.
2: And there's an episode where Jeff Cohen is on there. He joins the cast at Kids Incorporated. He's only on there for like a few
3: episodes. Right. And you can Google uh, Jeff Cohen, Kids Incorporated,
2: uh, Baby I'm a Star, because he sings, Princess Baby I'm a Star, and it is horrific. (laughs) It is one of the – you feel so bad. He cannot sing at all. Right. And but he had kind of gotten a name from like kind of being on the Goonies and stuff, and so right. they, they, they brought him on the show for a few episodes. And but those kids could sing and dance, you know, as kids can sing and dance. And he, it is just you're just like, oh, this is this is terrible. And <laughs> you see why kids incorporated only lasted like a season or two before it was, it was cut, but um,
0: I'm very fond, I have very fond memories of kids incorporated. I thought it lasted longer than that, but uh. But yeah, I used to wake... It would come on early in the morning on Saturday mornings, and I would try to wake... I would be mad and overslept and miss it. But uh, way before DVRs and VCR... Well, we had VCRs probably back then. I didn't have one to record anything. But uh, but I, I saw this, and I was going to ask you because you're a you're a diehard Family Ties fan, but I read somewhere that Jeff Cohen, Corey Feldman, Martha Plimpton, and Ann Ramsey, who played Ma Fratelli, had all made appearances on Family Ties. Can you confirm um, or deny
3: that fact?
2: I specifically remember Martha Plimpton's episode. She played a kind of a troubled teen who uh, was getting in trouble for stealing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Mallory was working in the mall in a store and she came in and was stealing stuff and Mallory kind of befriended her in like a big sister kind of way. So I, I remember that episode and I, I agreed with your superlatives for Martha Plimpton earlier. She, Martha Plumpton's been good in everything she's ever yeah. been in. Yeah. Um, Man, I do not remember the other. Uh, I don't remember Corey Feldman. Um, oh, I do remember Jeff Cohen. Now that you mentioned, as Chuck is right about that same age. There's an episode, and we're getting into deep family, deep cuts, family <laughs> ties information. There's an episode where the parents go out of town, and they rent the house out to um, for a, a big football game that's in town, a college football game. And okay. all the hotels were full, and so they kind of turned the house into a boarding house. And he. Um, is one of the kids that's staying there because he's he's walking around coincidentally with the same little propeller hat on that he wears in the Kids Incorporated uh, episode. <laughs> he, he's uh, oh, I'm sorry, no, this one's not a propeller hat. It's the it's one of those hats with the hands that clap. Oh yeah yeah yeah. The things yeah, the pull the string, walking yeah. around with that hat. I don't know why I remember. I don't know <laughs> why I remember that. That's such a weird thing to remember. But I, so I do remember Cohen. Uh, man, I don't remember. Ramsey, who is the uh, Fratelli's mother in
0: the Goonies movie. Right. I don't remember her being on there and who was the other one? Corey Feldman. Man, I don't remember Feldman on there at all. Yeah. Um, but
2: uh, I will trust your 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 trivia
0: knowledge. Well, that's it's all google-able, googleable. It's all googleable. Now, I just made up a word, googleable. Uh, trademark. Uh, I get money for that now. Um Google, googleable <laughs> <laughs> uh To see if that's true, I just I, it was one of the last things that I'd seen, so I just jotted it down real fast, and I was I was like, well, I know Ron has watched a lot of the Family Ties episodes pretty recently, so uh, I want to check with you. Here's another piece of trivia that I thought you would uh, especially appreciate: Heather Langenkamp from Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Right. She auditioned for the role of Andy. Steven Spielberg and Richard Donner felt that she had given a great audition and was the right physical type for the role. However, she was 20 years old at the time. The script described her as being 17 years old, and both Spielberg and Donner felt that she was too old for the role, so they went with Carrie uh, Green instead.
2: Interesting. I think, I, I definitely think that's the right choice. I yeah. Think. I don't think she... Because Carrie... And, and I don't know that... Carrie wasn't in a whole lot of other stuff, right? Lucas? what
0: you get Lucas? Lucas was the only... Is the only one that I... I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, which, this which again, in. brings us...
2: Brings us back to the two... Cor- 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 yeah. movie
0: with Corey and Corey Yeah, so uh, Lucas was a great movie. That's another kind of... I haven't watched that one in a very long time, but that that, that was a uh, another movie I watched a lot as a kid, so... Yeah,
2: Lucas. Uh, I agree. Lucas was... Well, probably one of the earlier movies that I watched that kind of made me feel
0: Yeah, things, yeah, you
2: know, yeah. like not just watching a movie to watch it.
0: Yes, it had um, emotional impact for sure. I felt that way, yeah. And that's a great movie. You got Charlie Sheen, you got Wine Owner you've got Corey Haim uh, and those are all pretty much before they really broke it all. Oh, they throw the before all three of those really broke out, uh, in the 80s, so right, right. All right, back to the Goonies. <laughs> So, okay, so I have to ask this question. In a movie like this, do you have a favorite Goonie? Ooh,
2: a favorite Goonie. Um, well, again, I
3: referenced earlier that uh, Mikey's speech is always my highlight oh, of, yeah. uh,
2: of the movie. So it's kind of a, a cop-out to take what's basically the
3: central character of I mean, the right. ensemble cast, but it's Mikey. Like in the video game, you played as Mikey, which mm-hmm. we get to talk about the
2: video game. That there was a goonies video game and i played it it was uh, much harder than it seemed like it should be <laughs> but um I, I played that a lot but mikey was the character so but mikey's um his that goonies never die the the just that whole we got to keep going mm-hmm. i believe that my father is going to f- fix this right desperate situation uh, cause are selling the house and going to have to move. And you know, when I was in, in two years later that we sold the house and I had to move and <laughs> I was like, why is my dad not helping me find rules buried in the right. hills of West Virginia?
0: Where's my Spanish but, housekeeper going through my pockets to find <laughs> the, the gems that I found in a cave? No sign. No, yeah. No pin, no, no right. Pen. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it, it would have to be, uh, uh. Mikey although um, um, Sloth might be a close second yeah hey you guys <laughs> yeah uh, so alright so that's your favorite and this might be the same question but w- was there a Goonie that you related to the most as a kid or that you kind of saw any of yourself in or was it still Mikey I, it's still Mikey
3: yeah
2: um, cause I, I was kind of on the street where I lived for most of my childhood in West Virginia I was like the older kid so I was Uh, which would make me think kind of like brand but um i used to just kind of like i was the one that organized to get whether it was hide and seek or tag Mm -hmm. or football whatever we were doing and i would look out for all the younger kids and make sure nobody was getting hurt and 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 it it, it was very very positive
0: become very jaded as an adult quite (laughs) quite negative on a daily basis but as a child i was quite positive and uh and encouraging what about you um, yeah I think Mikey is well I think the one I would say Mikey's probably the one that I related the most to and not because he's the main character just because I, I everybody else kind of cancels out I wasn't uh, I wasn't very funny which I think Chunk is probably my favorite character just because he's the funniest and he just of the care I mean the one the one good thing about this movie is they all seem very genuine like I feel they're really playing themselves. I mean, I could see Corey Feldman being the smart aleck, the mal- the mouthy one. I wasn't that way, but I had a good friend that was like that. So I recognized my friends and a lot of the other characters, um, data. I really didn't know anyone kind of like data though. Uh, but I definitely wasn't into gadgets and stuff like that. Um, but so I was, I was probably more like Mikey in the sense of, I, I wanted to adven- I want to do adventures like that. Um, and I was kind of committed to the cause. Like, you know, when everybody else was like, I don't want to go to one of Goonie adventures, you know, he was the steadfast one. He was the one that was always, you know, trying to spur them on. So even if I don't, I'm looking back, I probably wasn't that, but that's what I wanted to be. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be that more than I really was. So uh, it's a very special episode of 80's Quick Flashback. Tim talks about his past. Um, just, don't be a, just don't be a Troy. Yeah they, yeah, they want to be a Troy for sure. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, I think chunk was, but like sloth was, is a good one. Cause I mean, he was, he was great. He's just not in it enough. Uh, and it's amazing to me because watching it again now, I realize how little he's in the movie. Like as a kid, I remembered him more in the, being in the movie more so than watching it again now. So, um, but yeah,
2: yeah you're right. He is in it far less than you. Then
0: you realize. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, rounding out the rest of the cast, we, we kind of briefly mentioned, but uh, speaking of sloth, John Matuzak. Uh, ask right. any diehard football fan about John Matuzak, and they'll tell you what a controversial bad boy the Oakland Raiders' defensive end was during his NFL playing days. However, Matuzak was described as a sweetheart by the Goonies kids. Jeff Cohen got to know the two time Super Bowl champion well because the pair had extended scenes together. <laughs> Uh, Cohen actually said, Machuzak was huge, first of all. I think he was six foot seven, or maybe he was taller than that. John was really nice to me, and it was fun to work with him. But it's funny, when I was a teenager and I would start to watch the old NFL films, and they would have films of John playing for the Raiders, he was one of the meanest players in the history of the league. He would just yeah. terrify people on the field, which was totally shocking to me. I knew him as Sloth, a nice, lovable giant. So,
2: Yeah, I, I was a huge football fan
0: yeah. growing up. I played football since you know, the fourth grade, and I had,
3: um, I didn't really do cards, but I, I collected these football stickers and these books, mm-hmm. and
2: I mean, I knew a lot about the NFL, and I used to, I used to get books at the little book fair about the NFL, so oh, I
3: yeah. knew who John Matuzak was, but it was years before I realized that he was sloth. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was probably like late 90s before I was like, wait, who was sloth? It <laughs> was John Matuzak? I, I just, I never, you didn't stay for the credits back then. There oh, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, other than Ferris Bueller, there was nothing ever at the end of the credits <laughs> that you needed to stay for. Right. Right.
0: And we, and we continue our string and name another 80s movie. Keep it going, boom. Tim. Boom, boom. Chicka-chicka. Oh, yeah. I, you yeah, know, is it still here? Funny, funny story, and I'll probably say this again whenever we do Ferris Bueller. That was the one soundtrack as a kid that I wanted so badly, but I could never find anywhere a soundtrack really? to that movie. Yeah, So... Anyway, so, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, but he's so unrecognizable, you know, all the makeup, the prosthetics they used for him. I mean, there was no way you would know. I mean, even looking at pictures of him now, I, there's no way you would have known that was who who was behind all that makeup. And uh, that makeup. Yeah, one, took,
2: of, one of the things that I read about the makeup was yeah. the, you know, the one
0: eye yeah. on the face that's, that's lower. And then they would have to give him a
3: cue to because you can only see his one real eye. Right. And they would give him a cue of when to blink. Mm -hmm. And
2: so they they could make the mechanical eye blink and and the blinks would be kind of synced up. Yeah. Um, And and I I, I never really thought about that before.
0: Um, Yeah, I think I remember as a kid knowing that that was a fake eye. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, going back and looking at it now, it's still, I mean, it was great for the time, but it wasn't perfect. You know, of course, it all probably CGI now or some other kind of uh, way to do it, but it, it... It was still pretty cool, but like, yeah, he and he blinks such is very distinct when he blinks, but I'm sure the mechanical couldn't blink too fast. So, uh, but yeah, that makeup took five hours to complete. And uh, I was watching a little behind the scenes uh, featurette or whatever, and they were talking about uh, uh, John Davey, or no, Robert Davey, who played Jake Vertelli, one of the Vertelli brothers. Uh, He was very mean, (laughs) he was mean to everybody. Uh, but he would he was telling a story about how uh he felt bad for McCusack because he had to he had to be like three o'clock in the morning every day. He had a scene to get his makeup done, and then he had to leave it on. And so he would all he could do was he could eat French fries and he could suck uh like milkshakes through a straw. And so Robert Davies said that he would just walk by with like, Oh man, this is the greatest sandwich. Oh man, the sandwich is so great. Oh, I wish you could have this sandwich. Oh I'm gonna have this nice wow. coat. I mean just but he said, but he was like and you know, and he was thinking this this is this mean football player. He was expecting to like, you know, kind of give it back to him, like that was just how he was gonna play with him. And he said he would just laugh at him and like just played it off like it was no big deal. He said he never complained about the makeup, he never complained about uh, you know, all the long hours and stuff. He was just having such a great time. So and uh Well, I think that's
2: probably the different of the difference between someone who Had spent his career, you know, and not just playing in the NFL, but playing on the line Mm -hmm. where he's he's
3: getting mashed and fingers are getting broken and all (laughs) this other stuff. So now I just got to sit here with all this. Oh yeah, Yeah, I can do that for a little while. That's you're going to give me a
2: check. And and the difference between salaries, like when Matuzak played in like the '70s, and then he probably made more doing sloth when he's in '80s than he than he was than he made the NFL. Oh yeah. But since you mentioned the Fatelli brothers. I did read that uh, Robert Davy who who you mentioned that he actually was a trained opera singer, right, right, and it was his idea to sing those those opera songs.
3: Yeah, was Madame that, Butterfly. Uh, I want
2: to say was it Madame Butterfly? Madame Butterfly, yeah. yeah. And then uh, and the other Fratelli brother, uh, B- Joe. What's his name? Joe Joe P- Pantoliano. Yep,
0: exactly. From the Matrix. I mean,
2: so you say from the Matrix, and I say from the Sopranos. Oh well, but, you've watched but the but Sopranos he's a recently. Guy that, yeah. I think if we look at his filmography, oh, it's he's probably been... crazy long. He's been oh, in yeah
3: everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so uh go ahead. were you gonna say something about him?
2: I was just gonna say that I always loved it when they start to fight. Or yes. first of all first of all the scene earlier Uh, with the two brothers when the one says you always take his side Bob you always like him more she says that's right (laughs) that always that made me laugh yesterday that has always made me laugh and it has always made
3: me laugh when the two brothers start fighting
2: I don't wear a hairpiece the hairpiece is falling off as he's he's saying it that has always made me chuckle
0: yeah and I was going to say that those scenes I still laughed at those scenes yesterday I was going to say the same thing like them fighting was so funny and so uh so both joe and joe Pantaleano and robert davey were telling the story this on uh, another behind the scenes thing that they really they got the role by picking on each other at the audition like they were both auditioning I think they I don't know if they knew which brother they were auditioning for but they were there and so according to Joe he says that Robert Davy tried to get him Got try to get Joe off the out of the audition process by telling them in the audition that he was wearing a hairpiece, and so uh, so he played it off like he pulled it forward. He's like, "Yeah, you want to be younger? I could be younger." Then he pull it back to show his bald head. He's like, "No, I can play older. How younger? Older? You want to be?" But he said because they <laughs> bickered so much in the audition, they were like, these, "These have to be the two brothers." And he said most of the fights that they did was all improvised. But it was oh, exactly wow. how it was exactly how they fought with each other in real life, and they said, Really, we're really not good friends. We really don't like each other. But it just came across it's like the the direct. Like he said, Donner and Spielberg would see them fighting or bickering over something, off, you know, off camera, and like we're gonna put that in the movie. Hold it, save that. We're gonna put it in the movie, and so they'd make up that. Like I think the pizza scene is probably one of my favorites. He's like, "Why well, he always the pepperoni? You want some pepperoni? Here's your pepperoni," and he throws the slice at him. Oh my and That goodness. is
2: fantastic that they were they were improving this stuff. I, I I did not know that. Yeah. That is that is outstanding. Yeah. And
3: uh, but I do have a little confession that I want to
2: say uh Anne Ramsey, who plays the Mama Mama Fatelli. Yes. Uh, and then we know is also in uh, Throw Mama from the Train. I've ma- never seen Throw Mama from the Train. What? I've never seen planes, trains, and automobiles either. Something about movies with train <laughs> in the title, I <laughs>
0: We're gonna we're gonna go on a train ride, and you're gonna watch from the train <laughs> <laughs> and play
2: trains and automobiles.
0: Uh, that'll be our next our next group vacation. We're gonna take. Oh, that would be fantastic. We're gonna we're gonna break Ron's phobia of train and train movies at the same time. Yeah,
2: the wives will go to the food cart while we're, <laughs> we're on the train, trying to get a signal to stream. <sighs> Uh, uh, Throw Mama from the train.
0: Yeah, i i have I have more love for uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Throw Mama from the train is okay. It's a weird. It's a weird movie. Uh, I love Billy Crystal and I love Danny DeVito, so I wanted to see it. And it, it, I haven't watched in a long time, but it's a very weird movie. It uh, was
2: also my way to bring in two more titles of uh, exactly into the podcast.
0: Good job. Good job. <laughs> Thank you, sir. So. um yeah, so Anne Ramsey. Yeah, once again, I think her. She. Yeah, this is probably one of her most iconic roles. I really didn't do a deep dive into her other any other movies that she's been a part of, uh, unless you did.
2: No, no, I did not.
0: Okay, all right. So uh, two other cast members just have some fun facts about uh, Lupe Anteveros, who played the non English speaking Rosalita, was in fact U.S. born and spoke perfectly good English. She actually helped script uh she actually helped the script team with the English-Spanish translation of the hilarious lines said to her by mouth, and even helped him phonetically learn the lines during rehearsals because Corey Feldman didn't actually know Spanish language, or at least not as well as he appears to do within the film. Uh, once again, another one of my favorite. Like, all those jokes, I'm sure, went over my head as a kid, but watching them now, in another part of the movie that I was horrified that my daughter was reading those subtitles, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, it was very funny, um, and then uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, who plays Mrs. Walsh, uh, Mikey, and Brand's mom, would later go on to play a police psychologist in *Lethal Weapon*, which was also directed by Richard Donner.
3: Interesting.
0: Yeah, and it was funny because I was like, I know she's been in other stuff, but I couldn't think of what it was. And then when I read that, I was like, That's right, she's a psych- she's a psychologist in *Lethal Weapon*. I think she's in. She's definitely in the first two. I don't know if she made the other sequels, but I know she's in the first two of those. So, I don't know. Did, you, you, did you look up in, in, uh, uh, in some of the research and see that there was a Goonies Oath that they cut yes, from the film? I did. Do, do you, you have the Goonies Oath? I do. Would you would, like me to read it? Would you like to say it with me? <laughs> sure. Hold on, let me get to my. Here we go. You ready? Hopefully, hopefully we have the same one. That there, There's not different versions, but... Hopefully. we'll, we'll right. find out. All right. Are you ready? ready? One, yep. two, three. I will never, I will never, never betray my goondock, goondock friend. friends. We, we will, will stick, stick together, together until the, whole, the world whole world ends. Through heaven, through and, heaven hell and hell and nuclear war, and nuclear war. good pals good like pals us like will stick like, like tar. tar. In, In the, the city or the country or the, country, or the forest or, or the, the boonies, movies. I'm proudly, proudly declared, declared a fellow Goonie. A fellow Goonie. Yeah, Doing that with um, FaceTime was very interesting because we were delayed. <laughs> 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 but,
2: little A little hard to think up there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm the, surprised uh, they cut that from the movie, though.
2: Yeah, so am I. It seems um, like it would fit just perfect. I do have a couple other little pieces, though. Uh, Sean Astin Kept the treasure map From the film Yes Yep And then several years later His mother Who his mother was Patty Duke Right In real life Mm -hmm. She found it Thought it was just a crinkled piece of paper And threw it in the trash
0: (laughs) Yeah Which he was not very happy about Yep
2: And um Sean Astin uh, Also for those who don't know His father was John Astin Mm -hmm. Adams
3: family Gomez Adams Yeah So Patty Duke has his mom Gomez Adams And then um there's another little um, piece in the movie a little bit of a shout out to his brother his brother is McKenzie right um, and uh, most people or at least I, I know uh, McKenzie
2: Aston because he joined the cast of uh, um, the Facts of Life in the last season right if right. anyone remembers he was the, the boy who kind of was looking for a job and kind of young kid younger than the girls and came mm-hmm. to, uh, to stay there but there's a part in the movie uh, where he, uh, Sean Astin, actually says, he cries out, Holy Mackenzie! Right. <laughs> as a little shout out to uh, brother Mackenzie Astin.
0: Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, I remembered Mackenzie Astin. He was in another show, too, I think, later, uh, once he got a little older. It was another, like, family style drama show. But I can't think of what it was when you going to mention the shows i was gonna i was trying to remember which one it was but um but yeah i remember him as an actor as well
2: and a couple of little things that i found interesting one they hid the pirate ship from the kids yes until that final reveal scene when, when they see that the, the view that we see of them seeing the ship for the first time mm-hmm. is really them seeing the ship for the first time except They had to do a little bit... They had to cut a little bit of... (laughs) Josh Brolin, being older, actually said a curse word
3: that was not in the script. That they didn't want to
2: be included. (laughs) So they had to kind of cut that little part. But that was actually them, the awe on their face Mm -hmm. of seeing that ship. They built an actual working pirate ship. And at the end of this, what I found amazing was that Spielberg offered the ship to anybody who would take it. Because they didn't have anything to do with it. And nobody... There were no takers.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, and so they they tore it back apart and
0: scrapped it. Yeah, they gave some pieces to the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland, I think, because oh, very they said cool. it was it was currently under uh, they were trying to re it was under renovations, and so they said some pieces went there. But yeah, uh, they ended up tearing the whole thing down, which was sad. That was a lo- they filmed that scene in the largest sound stage at the time. Um, For that for those scenes there so which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, I remember that's that's one of the early early trivia things that I remember I must have seen some behind the scenes show or special on this when I was younger because I remembered I remember I have a vivid memory of Richard Donner telling that story about how he had them. He had all the hit kids. He had them their their heads under the water And he was like, they were going to pop up out of the water and we were going to get their initial, uh, know, reactions. And, and the way he told it was, he said, but the, the expletives that came out of their mouths just threw us all aback. Like we didn't expect them to like cuss so much when they saw it, he was like, all right, get back under the water. We're going to do it again. And this time don't swear. (laughs) So, Um, and then I read something that, uh, the funny that you mentioned that, um, Josh Brolin is the one that said the curse word, but he claims that he had snuck in and actually saw the ship when they were building it. So he had actually seen it already before they did that. So.
2: Well, he, I'm sure he hadn't seen the finished product, but no, no. he saw it building it. Yeah. The, uh, did you see, did you happen
0: to find out? This is my last little piece of trivia. Okay. And, uh, when Chunk is telling
2: the story about the prank in the movie theater, yes. where he climbs up on the balcony and and, uh, and
3: throws <laughs> over the the fake puke, right? Did you read who's who actually did that? Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg actually did that prank as a as a child. That's yep. from, his, from his history. That's
0: hilarious. <laughs> but even but uh, in the scenes before that, when he was talking about uh, when he kicked his cousin down the stairs and blamed on the dog, <laughs> and he did something to his uncle Max. That it was a, what, yeah, yeah, His that sister, yeah, like he like Edie, yeah. Whether whether the stories were true or not, but he does have a sister named Edie, and he does have an uncle named Max. So. Uncle
3: named Max.
0: <laughs> so that scene makes me laugh. Uh, speaking of that scene, the tears were real, but they weren't real because he was sad. <laughs> uh, let's see. He actually says, uh, Co- Jeff Cohen said. I'm hazy if it was Davy or Pantielano. He said, I think it was Joey Pants, actually, at this point, but one of them, the way they got me to cry, because those are real tears, is they actually pulled the little hairs out of the bottom of my neck. It would make me cry, and it was so scary. So that was my version of method acting. <laughs> what a horrible thing to do to a child. <laughs> but in that whole scene, like, uh, uh, Davy is like giggling and laughing while he's doing it. And I was like, why is he laughing? He's like, I don't know if, because he was improvising and that they just kept that scene. But then he finds I'm starting to like this kid, ma. Uh, but I, I wonder if he was laughing because he was the one that was pulling, uh, pulling the hairs.
2: I bet you he was. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then I didn't catch it this time, but a, uh, uh supposedly Richard Donner unintentionally started giggling when they filmed the scene where chunk starts crying when the ice cream gets taken from him by Jake. And it was kept in the film and, if you listen carefully, you can hear the director giggling off-screen when Jake takes the plastic spoon off Chunk and Chunk starts to cry. Which, once again, is one of my—that's another one of my favorite scenes. I laughed at that scene uh, when they take the ice cream from, and Then he takes the spoon out of his mouth. It was so funny.
2: I wish I would have known that when I watched it yesterday. I would have listened. For yeah,
0: the giggling. I'm, I'm probably going to—I'm going to go back and <laughs> I'm going to go back and watch and listen. I'm going to turn the volume up really loud and try to hear it. So. Uh, And then in that same kind of scene at the beginning when Chunk first sees Jake Fratelli's face when he approaches the car and uh, Jake Fratelli starts singing the Madam Butterfly, the Hebrew prayer, he says, was actually improvised by Jeff Cohen, uh, which, again, was really funny uh, when he starts praying in Hebrew. I thought that was hilarious.
2: (laughs) My name is Laramie Wells, and I host a podcast called Moving Panels. On Moving Panels, we discuss movies and television shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and a wide range of guest hosts as we discuss the hits like Logan and The Dark Knight, as well as clear misses like X-Men Origins, Wolverine, and Green Lantern. New episodes drop every other Friday, and you can find us wherever you download your podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and we'll see you on the other side of the page.
0: So, any oh. any other favorite scenes that you want to talk about? You
2: know the um, I mean, with all the stuff that that you know happens in the movie
3: and, and things, the it's still at the very end when the pirate ship breaks out and it's, yeah. it's sailing on the water and and even the news camera guy is going, "Folks, I can't describe what yeah. water." Or kind of a hushed tone. Yeah. Yeah. Of, uh, because not wanting to break the, the kind of magical moment, mm-hmm. you know, that's still a good,
2: it, 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 you know, commands your attention to kind of see that, that, uh, that scene. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, yeah. That, that's always,
0: that's probably the, the lasting imagery of mm-hmm. the movie to me is, uh, is that the ship breaking out. Yeah. So I know you mentioned, uh, Mikey's monologue you know th- they're up there and we're down here you know I know you you know it pretty much by heart now um and we, I may let you end the show with that monologue I think that'll be a great uh finale for this episode uh but I really I, going back I really like the scene um at the wishing well where uh before that when Corey Feldman is taken where Mouth has taken all the coins and uh Steph is like, no, don't take those. are somebody's wishes. There's somebody's dreams. And he was like, no, these are, you know, you know what? I, you know, these are my dreams. I'm taking them back because they didn't come true. I remember as a kid, like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I could do that. <laughs> but just, you know, there was, there was honesty in that. I don't know. It just, it kind of, I thought that was a really good scene, even for, you know, Feldman to kind of have that moment uh, in that scene. I liked that scene a lot. Um, I love the scene, like going back to the end with the pirate ship. I love the scene when Chunk and Sloth show up and they slide, you know, they do the the pirate, the old pirate movies where he puts the knife in the, in the sail and comes down. Uh, of course, it's funny now because you can totally tell that's a dummy on the back of the stuntman's back and not Chunk um, when you watch it now. Right. right. Uh, right. But, uh, and I'm Captain Chunk. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, now I understand the whole when Sloth. You know, rips open his shirt and you see the Superman t shirt and it plays the Superman theme. Now understand that's a nod to Richard Donner because he directed Superman. So I didn't get that at all as a kid, but I just thought that, you know, looking at it, watching it now, I was like, that was that was pretty cool. So, yeah. Very cool. And a little
2: Superman theme music when he rips it yeah. off, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So I was like, that, you know, I guess it was Warner Brothers, they, they had the rights, they could do that. Um, going back to. Um, which this is interesting. I'm not gonna try to talk too much about it, but the history of one-eyed Willie when uh, Mikey is telling the whole story about one-eyed Willie, did you know that most of that was improvised by Sean Aston? Oh, I did not no yeah so uh, Donner wanted to get an authentic performance out of Austin during the scene where he tells his friends the saga of One-eyed Willy. A lot of Aston's monologue in the scene was unscripted. Donner simply laid out plot points and told Aust- Austin to fill in the rest of the story while the cameras were rolling. The plan worked. The scene was an inspiring one and it helped to show audiences the special bond that Mikey felt with the pirate. So uh. But I noticed like now, like they have he has that moment. Then they all kind yeah. of go away. They find something else and they come right back to that same spot and almost kind of it's kind of a weird scene because they kind of it kind of duplicates the same kind of, okay we're gonna go do it. No we're not oh yeah that's gonna go do it. So it's an interesting scene to watch now. I didn't notice it as a kid, but I just thought that was interesting when I was watching it uh, the other day, so. Near the end of the movie, <clears throat> I thought this was cool, Data says something in Chinese and Chinese subtitles are shown. The subtitles actually translate to, he is a big strong man.
2: <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. I thought it was funny. Yeah. I just always thought it was funny that he, the subtitles Yeah, again.
0: yeah. <laughs> and then, according to Donner's assistant, the ending was actually changed drastically from the script. In the original ending, the Goonies went home, and it was while Mikey's family was packing to leave, that Rosalita finds the marble bag and gems while doing the laundry. There was a reference to the last scene being changed to occurring on the beach, so that the ending was simplified, and the Inferno, which was the name of the ship, could be seen in a magnificent, exciting shot at the end. Oh. So I thought yeah, that was the, good.
2: the ship is a far better ending. made yeah. the right there. Yeah.
0: And so Rosalita the the lady that played Rosalita interview I watched, she was talking about how they had filmed uh they had already filmed the uh the house uh scene where they were in the house doing it that way. And then she got called like a few months later, like, we're going back to the beach to do a different, you know, different take of the ending. So I thought that was pretty cool. Before we wrap up, we'll talk a little bit, we'll talk about the box office, but this was something I thought was interesting. So did you ever watch it on TV? Do you remember as a kid? Do you remember watching it on TV?
2: I mean, I don't really remember. No. I mean, once the movies came out, we were able to be rented. Right. Uh, I'm sure we rented it.
0: So I went... So after I watched it the other day, I actually... I knew there were some deleted scenes, so I went and watched the deleted scenes, and I kept thinking, I've seen... Like, this segment seems familiar. Like, it didn't... You know, it, it felt like it was there. So... No uncut version has been released on home media, but when basic cable or local stations aired the film, the version used included two deleted scenes. One was at a stop and shop where, uh, Troy harasses all the Goonie kids and brand actually comes in and keeps him from punching, uh, Mikey. And there's a giant octopus sequence cut from the final version as well, which at the end data mentions the octopus was the scariest part. And the guys like octopus, and of course, the audience are going, "What octopus?" But there was a scene when they first got thrown in the water that an octop- octopus comes up and tries to attack uh, Steph and Mouth, and Data. For some reason, takes his tape recorder and it plays a song, and it he puts the song he puts the Walkman that's playing the song in I think the octopus's mouth, and then the octopus dances off like away from everybody.
3: Uh, you know, and that makes sense
2: because it never made sense to me that Mouth says to uh, Steph,
0: or Steph says to Mouth, and mm-hmm. at the end when they have their little moment, says, right. thanks for
2: offering to save my life.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, so that it, but I can see the octopus scene was not, you. and, and Richard Donner says they ended up cutting that scene because the technology of the octopus didn't really work. It didn't match the rest of the film. So it was a good decision to take it out, but it did leave kind of a few little holes there. But uh, the other scene with them at the uh, stop and shop is a really great scene. I, 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 that's one, if there was a quote unquote director's cut, I would like to see that that put back in the movie because <clears throat> you get a little bit more of the guys, uh, the Goonies interacting before they're on the adventure and it kind of beefs up Troy's you know uh, bad guy persona because he's really a jerk. Because uh, t- there's a scene where he takes the map from Mikey and actually lights the end of it on fire and pretends like it's he's smoking a joint uh which once again probably got cut because they were trying to keep a pg pg movie so you know and that would better make sense too like they all because all the kids know and going back to Mikey's soliloquy again where he references Troy like they all know who Troy is right it's not just some you know person that the older brother and the older kids go to school with they know him right because up you know until they have those kind of scenes at the very end where Troy's with his dad, he only really tormented brand. Like he didn't, you didn't see him tormenting the kids. They were, right you know, the they, bicycle. yeah, they, they kind of saw him just as a bad guy, you know, to them. So, um, which another one of my favorite scenes is, uh, you know, it's not a, I, well, I say a favorite scene, but a funny scene is when, uh, <laughs> is when they take the air out of, uh, brands bikes, bike, And Mikey says, don't do that. That's brand's favorite thing in the world. And mouth says, now it's his flattest thing in the world. (laughs) And that line always makes me laugh. Uh, But then, of course, him and then him taking the little girl's bike and you see him pedaling this little bike. It's just so funny. Uh, Oh, man, that was so funny. Okay. so box office. So the Goonies grossed nine million in its opening weekend in the U.S. A second on the charts behind... Rambo First Blood Part 2. Uh. <laughs> it grossed $63.4 in the United States and Canada, placing it among the top 10 highest grossing films of 1985. Uh, it made $60 million overseas for a world- worldwide gross of $124 million. So, yeah, it was actually number 10 on the list. So, uh, it wasn't as, you know, it's, it's well-beloved and known as like a, a hit, but compared to all the other movies that came out in nineteen eighty five, it 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 wasn't as big as some of the other ones. So but it's uh, currently on Rotten Tomatoes, it's seventy five percent on the tomato meter with a ninety one percent audience score and on IMDB uh, it has a seven seven point eight out of ten with viewers and sixty two percent on Metacritic, which I think is appalling that has a sixty two percent where where does it rate for you? Are you are you in the eighties, nineties range?
2: Yeah, that's probably about right. I mean, probably around an 80 is is, is accurate. Um, I mean, we think of it more fondly. You always think of the things that you saw, that hey, you grew up with, that you cut your yeah. teeth on. As, as a little, you know, you're a little more fond of those. Um, but I can understand it having a score of about, of about 80. I mean, the younger generation people, if they were to review it, are going to give it a lower score. Um, I mean, I personally would probably bump it up more it to like a 90 for my yeah. personal score but i understand how it would have about a, about an
0: 80 yeah i mean it's it's not a perfect movie but it's pretty close as far as like i mean it it moves pretty well i mean it, i even when i was watching i was trying to you know i was i was watching it but still having to do some things so i was trying to find good points to to get up and you know kind of find a place to pause but it, it moves pretty well and uh and, I mean, it has a nostalgic factor, but I mean, I kind of rate my stuff by rewatchability, and this has such great re- rewatchability. no matter how old I get. It's still, it has that nostalgic factor for me, but it's also still a great story, and there's a lot of heart in it, too, uh, just kind of going back to a favorite scene. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is after the uh, the guys come to the house towards the beginning, you know, your brand and Mikey are kind of fighting, and, you know, they're doing their little brother brother. You know sibling rivalry thing and then uh the guys bring the papers to the house and they're all kind of sad and you see mikey outside and his brother just comes in and just gives him a hug and then kind of drags him off you know so they kind of go from like being lovey-dovey to like here let me drag you around some so just seeing that brotherhood camaraderie has it shows yeah. the heart uh, of the movie and so uh that that's where it wins it has the it has the action it has the adventure it has the comedy But it's still got that heart, too. So that's always going to give it some extra marks in my book. So, Yeah, agreed. All right, Mr. Ron West, I appreciate you being on this episode. And as promised, I'm going to let you close out the episode with the infamous Mikey monologue uh, to, to stir the rest of the Goonies on to finish the adventure. So ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. As we say goodbye, here is Mr. Ron West. Take us out. And, and after I'm done with the, uh, with the
2: monologue, I think I'm going to uh, make like data and uh, go set some booty traps.
0: <laughs> booty traps. So, uh,
2: that's what I said. <laughs> um, all right. Don't you realize the next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. But right now, they got to do what's right for them because it's their time. Their time up there. Down here it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's
0: bucket. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com You can also leave us a voice message to the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. If you do leave us a message, we may just use it in an upcoming mini episode. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. Also, be on the lookout for our next mini episode. Each mini episode offers some fun segments about the previous full episode, and we'll also introduce the next 80s flick we'll be watching and covering in the next episode. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode's show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. That's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback.